0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Letters to Myself podcast. I hope you've all been having a great couple of weeks and that your May has started out really good. Um, Honestly, the past maybe one to two weeks I've been really going through it and I don't usually like to blame it on external circumstances. I think that it's just the flow of life. Like you can't always be at 100 or 150% you have to have, you know, a little bit you have to have struggle, you have to be going through things in order to kind of elevate and improve your life. That was what was happening to me end of December, beginning of January. Overall, honestly, I think this has been like so far I'm having a really really great year, but I've just been really going through it. Um is it because of Mercury retrograde? I don't know. Usually I ignore all of that because they never really affect me like people would always say like, Oh my God, my ex comes back. Um, all these communication issues, like there's so many setbacks and I'm just like, nothing, like nothing ever happens to me. I just feel like, honestly, it just randomly comes and goes for some reason. I just feel like this, these past like maybe 10 days have been so rough. I mean, I'm just, I'm just using that information to feel better, but I do know that it is going to get better. Like I'm going on vacation next week. So I have that to look forward to, but, um, Yeah, that's pretty much it. So before we get into today's episode, which is actually really interesting, I did put a lot of research into it, and I'm very excited to talk about, um, I wanted to update the books that I have been reading, finally. So uh, firstly, I finished Dune, um, and I was very pleasantly surprised, because I'm not a sci-fi person, I'm not really into fantasy, sci-fi, that kind of genre but this has changed my entire outlook on that. I absolutely loved reading it. I was very into it. It was easy for me to read upwards of hundred pages a day. It is a very big book. Um, the book alone, I think is almost 800 pages and then there's information at the end that kind of goes into the geography of Dune, the characters, the terminology. So it's almost 900 pages long, but it didn't feel like I was reading a 900 page book and it didn't even take me that long to read it a couple of weeks tops. I absolutely loved it. I'm excited to actually go and see the movie now because I wanted to watch the one with uh, Timothy Chalamet, uh, and Zendaya. So, but I wanted to read the book first. And honestly, this has just changed my entire outlook on the kinds of genre genres I like to read. I really want to explore more fantasy and sci-fi. Like when I was reading it, I was just imagining star Wars. Cause that's really the only science fiction movie I've really seen like the like space galactic type of vibe so I was kind of imagining it with like that environment even though I know it's not but it's just made me want to read more and I think I want to try reading Lord of the Rings again because I tried reading it in like middle school and I could not even get past the first 100 pages and it's very rare for me to read a book and not be able to finish it but I just remember hating it and I tried reading the hobbit as well uh, in high school I could not get through it so maybe we'll try it again and see how that goes but if you're trying to get into a different genre or you're trying to like expand your horizons when it comes to reading and you want to read something that has you know politics uh religion spirituality space travel I think it's a really great adventure. Like it has everything. It has elements of everything in it. And considering it was written in the 60s, which I didn't know, it doesn't read like a book that's written in the 60s because I've read a lot of books that were written kind of around that time frame that feel a lot more dated, I guess. But this one didn't. It feels like it could have been written now, although I think if it was written now, certain elements would be left out. So there's that. Um, I'm also rereading Animal Farm, which I'm almost done. it's it's just a hundred page, like one hundred and eight pages. so it's a really quick read. But honestly, I really enjoy rereading books that I, you know, we were like maybe forced to read in school, um or that we read when we were younger because I read it maybe in the eighth grade. And I honestly remembered more than I thought I would. But when you're an adult, you just understand the book so much better. Like now I get all the references. Now I understand why, you know, like all the political connotations and how it's, you know, playing on what humans do. I didn't really get that when I first read the book and I can't believe they were making us analyze like literature like this in middle school, because it's like, how, what, what does somebody who's like 13 know about (laughs) like, um, politics and capitalism and forced labor and stuff like that, you know, but reading it now I was laughing. I actually found it funny. Like the the elements that are used. And I, the only reason I had bought and reread it is because I recently read 1984 this year again, and I really enjoyed it. So yeah, that was just a quick, little thing. And then lastly, uh, I'm starting where the crawdads sing, which is a super popular book. I'm pretty sure everybody's read it at this point. Um, I don't know what to expect. A lot of people are either obsessed with it or really disappointed with it. So we'll see where that goes, but that's kind of in terms of reading. And then because I'm going on vacation next week, I want to read more like romance, like easy to read books. So that's what I'm going to be reading probably next week on the beach. So that's pretty much it for that. Don't really have any other life updates, but that's it. So let's get into the topic of today. So I really wanted to talk about pop psychology because I see it everywhere. I'm seeing a lot of language being used by people with no qualifications to promote certain ideas. And I feel like it has really diluted psychological terms it has diluted just the entire validity of the study of psychology. And it's a lot of terms are now used too freely, if that makes sense. So I kind of did a not a huge deep dive, but I just compiled some information about pop psychology, how it differs from, you know, the more standard academic psychology or the actual study. Um, and kind of what are the dangers And and the the pros and the cons of having having this information be more readily accessible to people, which is also important, right? We want to have information accessible and free to people. You shouldn't have to be part of academia or in in academic circles or go to post-secondary education in order to access information. I don't think that. But on the same, on the other hand, when information gets too oversimplified it loses its meaning. And when people fail to see the the broader context that encompasses psychology, it is not taken as seriously and it can provide misinformation actually and harm people as well. Okay. So firstly, what is pop psychology? So just my, I didn't search up an official definition cause there really isn't one, but it's basically psychology that's easily digestible and consumed by the average population compared to academic psychology. Um, I'm not really going to get into a history of psychology because that would be a video that is very much too long, but basically think of the perfectly curated Instagram posts with the colorful backgrounds that are like, what is gaslighting? What's a narcissist signs that you're dating a narcissist enforcing boundaries five ways. You can do so Cut everyone off things like that. And it'll have the cute little flowery background and it'll be posted by someone who may or may not have any credentials who may or may not have gone to school for it. Um, so basically think of that, or even think of the threads on Twitter, um, where they just like this long discourse will pop up with thousands upon thousands of retweets with people debating and arguing over, things like what encompasses narcissism? What, um, what, uh, is this gaslighting? Um, I'll, I'll get into more examples cause I've written them down. That's, that's what pop psychology is to me when I think about it. And also with these really like catchy books that are published, not by people that, you know, that are social workers, psycho- psychologists, psychiatrists. I don't think psychiatrists write books, but people within that field, but mostly just maybe they've taken a course or two or they're more in the self-help realm. And that's where kind of it easily blurs, right? Because self-help is not the same thing as psychology, right? And helping, you know, making a book on 10 ways to be positive is not psychology. And a lot of the studies may not be true. There may not be enough information there to validate the claims. So, Yeah. (laughs) Just to get into a brief overview of when kind of self-help and pop psychology, or to me, from what I've researched, kind of how it's come about is think back to maybe the early uh, 20th century with people like Andrew Carnegie, who published that book, How to Make Friends and Influence People. To me, that's kind of like the start of early pop site because people didn't have access to the internet back then. So it was mostly with books and public speeches, but basically any information that aims to help the reader or the spectator on their quest to make more friends, to improve their life, to become a happier person. This was kind of the start of where we saw all of this beginning to happen. And in the past, you could only really access information by reading it, by going to therapy, if you could afford it, or by going to kind of these, again, these like public groups where people would discuss. Resources were very limited, and there were barriers to accessing academic studies or new discoveries relating to the latest in psych. Now with technology, basically we're constantly bombarded with, again, the curated posts about trauma, about healing, about self-therapy. There are an influx of books being published by people. Um, it's, it's basically everywhere. Um, so some people that come to mind for me, (laughs) um, that you may or may not disagree with, um, the first one was Nicole Lepera, who writes a lot about trauma. I actually did read her book. So Nicola Pera does have psychological training and does have her PhD. So she is, she does have the right credentials and she calls herself the holistic psychologist. So in this case, I'm not, um, discussing again, the credentials, however, and there is a lot of, there are a lot of sources to back this up. She has been accused of promoting, um, therapies that are not exactly evidence-based and of oversimplifying it to meditating, doing yoga, other various self-help, you know, put a sticker on it and it's done kind of approach to therapy. She disagrees with taking any medication, which of course in certain cases you might have to, um, depending on the diagnosis. She discourages people from getting a diagnosis, for any psychological problems that they might have, which again is very harmful because sometimes it's not just, oh, I experience anxiety sometimes. Sometimes it's a little more serious than that. And you actually have to get a diagnosis and actively be in therapy talking about your experiences with somebody. So she kind of disagrees with this entire traditional uh, take on psychology and rather calls herself holistic and subscribes to kind of more new age again, take it as you will, it is a more holistic view of it, more new age spiritual kind of psychology and denounces kind of the traditional path, may I say. So upon reading her book, which I have read, I fully read it and I had initially bought it having no knowledge of who this person was. And usually my intuition is pretty good in telling in, or in knowing if somebody is coming from a good place or whether they're coming from a bad place. And to me, the language in the book and just the the information that was provided, something felt off about it. So there is an entire kind of expose that was done. There is a, a Vice article that was actually published in 2020 um, talking about how she has millions of followers, but has been called out multiple times over her privilege of stating that you can think your way out of a mental health problem, which, again, if you're a psychologist and you're saying that maybe is not the best approach. Because, again, and I've talked about this with my law of attraction ideas, too, is that there is a greater context that we live in and you can't yes there's onus on the individual yes to make the right changes you have to take a certain level of responsibility for your own for your mental health you have to take those steps to get help but there are other factors that affect people's psychological state of well-being right if somebody had an extreme extremely traumatizing experience yes they have to take the steps to heal but it is also in the community around them and the environment that they live in that will act either as a barrier or an enabler or a healer in that context, right? So that that essentially was the first thing, that it's very much the, the way she approaches the work is, you know, work on your ego, get rid of your ego, reparent yourself. Um, and again, this whole concept and idea that I will get into later about trauma, that every single person has trauma. And there's not one of us that doesn't have trauma we're carrying over from our life. She's very popular with, uh, kind of celebrities, very, very, uh, popular, very in favor again of self-healing. This is all you can find this in the vice article. It's one of the first things that comes up if you Google it and a Forbes article or profile from, uh, a couple of years ago in 2018 described her, this is a quote from the vice article as a leading voice in questioning the mental health establishment, which of course you have always have to question what is going on around you. But again, a lot of what she promotes is not evidence-based. So again, directly quoting this things such as physical tra- storing physical trauma, the polyvagal nerve theory, which is still questionable. Read up on it. If you'd like, it's kind of, I don't think it's, Completely 100% agreed upon, um, as well as getting pollution from EMF uh, frequencies, which again, dubious claim has not been proven. On top of that, and this is from other threads that I've read through and articles, there was another expose done by someone saying that she does have a history of gaslighting people of color and has been extremely racist in her practice and essentially called this one woman out and let her millions of followers attack her. So again, this was published in 2020. So it's been a couple of years, but essentially she sets her community against other people and literally actually gaslights this woman who does not have the power and the followers to back herself up. And there, there's plenty of other information that just goes into kind of the sketchiness almost of these claims and of the idea that you can heal yourself and you should not be going to therapy. While instead, she's asking people to invest in her and her seminars. So literally, what is the difference? Because personally, I'd rather go to a therapist and talk to them about it than put thousands upon thousands of dollars into these workshops where I might just be doing meditation and yoga and cleansing myself of these EMF frequencies and and the pollution that's stored and the trauma that's stored in my body, which again, yes, we do store trauma in our bodies, but the, it's just the way she's going about it. So that is one uh, example. The main thing that she talks about is how everyone has trauma. There's not one person who doesn't have trauma. And that's that's one of the main words that I think has been diluted so much to the point where now it's like, you have people with extreme traumatic situations that are truly struggling and trying to get through them. And then you have them being put in the same kind of group as people who maybe like got made fun of once in middle school. And that's apparently considered trauma. So this is what I mean with like, we're diluting these words and they're kind of losing their meaning and they're almost being appropriated for situations where they are not necessary. Like we have other language for this and it's kind of blurring everything. Another, another, um, person that comes to mind for me again is Eckhart Tolle, who wrote the power of now. Um, again, not really much evidence to back up the claims in their book. Um, Deepak Chopra has also been a accused many times of promoting information that is not based on evidence and kind of basically publishing all these books just to make money really, um, with no formal training. Those are just a couple of people, Rhonda Byrne as well, who wrote the secret. I have talked about this before. I really don't like that book at all. Um, and it was written by again, someone who does not have the proper information and stuff and who's not studied psychology. And again, I'm saying this loosely because given all of the information that we have, the, again, the lines between psychology, self-help, um, very easily get blurred and self-improvement. So it's almost like there's no clear delineation between the two. That's what it feels like to me, unless you actively go and look for this by yourself. And again, I'm not invalidating these people. I'm not calling them out or their experiences, they may have had experiences that are completely valid, but rather I want to point out that it's questionable where they're coming from and we need to really look into who they are and what they are promoting. You can also see that, uh, therapy talk being infused into our everyday lives is actually harming our connections with people. So now I'm just going to go through a couple of different definitions and concepts that I have found oversimplified and overused and kind of try to get into a broader discussion about it. I also do apologize if the audio sounds really echoey. I'm, first, I'm still kind of figuring out this microphone. And the second thing is I'm in a big room that doesn't necessarily have all the f- furniture in it yet. So it might sound a bit echoey. But uh, going back to that whole introduction or like the whole talk about trauma and that everyone has trauma. Firstly, I'll just preface this by saying I'm not talking about people that jokingly use these terms because I do as well. I'll jokingly like in a conversation be like, oh my God, don't gaslight me. Just based on something my friend said, or if someone says something extremely weird and off-putting to me when I'm out, like let's say like a guy comes up to you and says something really like weird and not normal. Obviously, that's not trauma, but I'll just go up to my friend and be like, "Oh my god, that, that was so traumatizing." But they know I'm joking. Like I'm not talking about using these defi- these terms in that context. But at the same time, it's just interesting to see how it's become so normalized to use terms like gaslighting and trauma, and um, I have I have a whole list of uh, terms and boundaries in our everyday language when I think a couple of years ago, I never used those words. You know, we would use different wording, but now it's just become so normal to throw them around. But I'm also not talking about using them in a joking way. I think people are genuinely using it in a serious way and uh, not not within the proper context at all. So for example, again, a lot of popular self-help authors are claiming that, again, everyone has trauma, which is not the case because trauma is a very specific thing that happens to people when they experience things like abuse, like SA, like being in a war-torn country, like repeatedly suffering, poverty can be traumatizing. Um, I, I obviously won't be able to go over everything, but trauma is not, you know, when you wear an ugly outfit to school one day and somebody says, oh, that looks bad. That's not traumatizing. It's rude, yes. If it's done repeatedly, it could be bullying and very serious bullying can be traumatizing. But just because one bad thing happens to you does not mean you now have trauma. Just because your parents ignored you a couple of times because they were going through a divorce does not mean you are traumatized. Look, I'm a child of divorce too. My parents fought a lot when I was younger. I had times where I was ignored as a kid, but that's not trauma because it's just not comparable to what other people have gone through. You know what I mean? So I think we're again, really diluting the word and, you know, causing people to imagine things or, you know, because our memory is not reliable, right? Every time you recall a memory, you are also changing that memory. So it's very easy for people to convince you to remember something that never really happened or to make you think that your childhood was actually worse than it was. I'm not saying everybody had a perfect childhood. I did not have a perfect childhood. I'm sure there's a lot that's gone on in in households that you don't even want to think about. And I'm not talking about people with who validly went through bad things. But again, I think it makes it harder for people who actually need help and want to talk about their lived experiences to then go and say, oh, anybody that's been overlooked once, anybody that was, you know, put in time out by their parents, that's trauma. No, it is not. And if you want to actually read a book on what trauma is, I will recommend a really good book. Um, what happened to you conversations on trauma resilience and healing by oprah winfrey and bruce perry was a really good book um the body keeps the score i'm pretty sure everybody's heard about it although i recently heard that um to some like the author has done problematic things i want to look into that more but again the there they still have heavily researched this right and so going to a self-help book to learn about trauma. It's just not recommendable, right? So that's just one word. But how many other words do you hear that are being used (laughs) that are actually harming us more than helping us? And I'll go into the next one. Okay. So the next buzzword that I really wanted to talk about was the word boundary. And honestly, I feel like I can't log on one day of my life without seeing that word used in some kind of form or context. And of course, boundaries are important. You know, you don't want somebody to cross them. There are lines that can't be crossed, whether it's with relationships, with your coworkers, with your friends and your family, of course they are so important, but there is, I'm seeing kind of an overuse of the term, like it's all I see basically. And it's like, how, how far do we have to go to realize that we're actually disconnecting from human connection and that some of these boundaries that are being enforced are really just you being an asshole, essentially. The biggest example of that, and if you use Twitter at all, which like I don't really tweet anymore. I used to a lot long time ago. Now I just, am on there for discourse, mostly for memes and, you know, laughs. Although I find that most of the time It can get exhausting and I have to take breaks because it's so negative on there. But this tweet was actually from 2019. I don't remember it being that long ago. I remember it from last year. So essentially, it's someone who has a PhD in their username. And this is the tweet, which I'll read. So, PS, someone reached out and asked for an example of how you can respond to someone if you don't have the space to support them. I offered this template. Hey, I'm so glad you reached out. I'm actually at capacity slash helping someone else who's in crisis slash dealing with some personal stuff right now. And I don't think I can hold appropriate space for you. Can we connect uh, brackets later date or time instead slash do you have someone else you could reach out to? So this is basically a text that they have created used as a template and they're saying it's appropriate to use that even if, you know, it's a close thing. A friend, a family member, no matter who it is that reaches out, if you uh, don't have the time or the physical capacity or the um, uh, quote unquote emotional capacity to deal with it, then it is appropriate to send this text out. And that's a totally normal thing. And honestly, I feel like at this point, we have just basically lost the plot because if someone sent that text to me, if I was having, I don't know, a bad day, all the way up to the spectrum of, like, full-on mental breakdown, and I reached out to my best friend, and they said that they would not be my best friend anymore. You know, it is absolutely ridiculous that it's almost like we're viewing relationships with other people as transactional and not as what they are, which is human and imperfect, and I just... To me, the relationships that I have with my family, with my friends, even with my coworkers, is if somebody reaches out to me, it doesn't matter what I'm going like what's going on with me, unless I am like physically incapable of doing something or it is genuinely without my reach. I will drop whatever I'm doing or I will, to the best of my ability, be there for them. And even if I'm going through something myself, if someone reaches out to me, it does. What does emotional capacity have to do with it? I'm sorry to the to most of the population, there's no, like, what is emotional capacity? We're all at emotional capacity. Like I come home sometimes and I'm stressed and I, you know, I, I need to decompress, but if someone reaches out to me because I am a person that values my relationships with other people, because I am a caring and compassionate person and that I'm thoughtful and I'm not an asshole, I would never send that text to somebody, you know? And So this is what I mean when I say that the term boundary has been overused because it's one thing to, you know, assert a boundary if someone has crossed something that you're comfortable with, whether that's a physical boundary, that's totally acceptable. Whether it's, hey, you know, I think we've been, I don't know, I'm just using an example, hanging out too much. I kind of need like some space right now. That's totally appropriate. But this, like this was kind of the start of it for me at just seeing this kind of, I guess, advice. And I don't, I just think it's honestly making us worse off. There's this whole concept of emotional labor, which to me, emotional labor is something you do if you're in that kind of profession. You know, if you're a social worker, if you're a therapist of some sort, yeah, you're being paid and compensated for that emotional labor. And that's actually your job to do it. But I even remember there was, again, another viral kind of tweet where it was a parent talking about their adoptive teenage daughter and stating that, you know, they're doing emotional labor and they can't, they have to hold up a boundary to their teenage daughter for being needy and for quote unquote, just demanding too much from the mother. And I'm sorry, but as most people pointed out, um, there's no such thing as emotional labor when it comes to the people in your life. You know, it that's only in reference either to a job or I think also it was used in kind of a context of a woman taking on emotional labor within a uh, relationship. Don't quote me on that, but I did seek some discussion about that, but nowhere does it actually apply, especially to a parental role that you have willingly taken on because this is adoption. I'm sorry, but when you are dealing with a teenager, or whether it's your child, that's not labor. That is something you have taken on, and it's your responsibility to be there for that person. That's not emotional labor. And there's, I'm sorry, but there's no boundaries when it's your own child. Like I'm, the, this this therapy talk, this therapy kind of language, it breaks apart when we actually deal with human connection. And if you are the type of person that is actively using these terms and going above and beyond, like, you're not going to have a lot of friends at the end. Like, if you're using that template, if you're t- telling people your emotional capacity and you're doing emotional labor for your best friends, you're not a good friend. I hate to break it to you. And it's one thing to say, hey, I'm going through a lot right now, um can we please like reconnect tomorrow? Or if, you know, if you say, Hey, like I really don't feel comfortable with this, but when you're using this kind of terminology and making it all scientific and cold to me, it's just mind boggling. I'm sorry. I don't know if it's again, because this is viewing it from a very American lens. I'm not American. My cultural background is not, you know, Amer- American, Canadian, so in my culture, we're very collectivist, it's about family, it's about being there for one another. I don't know if it's an issue with that, with individualist versus collectivist values. But to me, this is just ridiculous. And I think it is really disintegrating the sanctity of human relationships, of connection, and it's making it very robotic. To me, that's what it feels like. You can disagree, that's okay with me. This is my this is my opinion on that whole take. The most recent thing that I've seen that kind of goes along with this is a recently, actually, it was a post about a girl saying she ended a friendship with a close friend because she can't process her close friend being distressed. She's unreachable at this time because it's in her best interest to distance herself from the friendship. And there was apparently no reason for this. It was just, she decided to end the friendship because she was, you know, dealing with a lot and she respectfully could not do it anymore. Again, again, if you have a valid reason for, uh, for ending a friendship, that's totally fair, right? Someone's wronged you. If you, if you drift apart for whatever reason, that's fine. But if you're ending a friendship just to work on yourself, um, I think you need to, (laughs) what I was going to say was you really do need to work on yourself and learn how to be a better person, please. Um, But, like, you just did that person dirty. And, again, you're not a good friend. I think you really need to get your priorities straight. I think you need to learn about values. And maybe, yeah, you do need to go to therapy to learn how to be a proper person. You know, with feelings, with emotions. Like, what I don't understand is how – we have managed to become so self-centered almost. It's like, you're not the only person in the world. And, and by distancing yourself from people around you and by closing off and saying, you know, I'm the only person that matters. I'm the most important person. You're actually making it more difficult for you to heal with whatever you're going through because you do need people around you. Right. That's just my own two cents. Of course, there's nuance to this. Of course, in certain circumstances, you know, this, it might be appropriate to end a friendship again, but, Using this kind of robotic language and this therapy talk is, I think, getting to a point where it's just, like, ridiculous. And most people, I think, would agree with that because most people in these, like, replying to these tweets, quote, tweeting in the comments on a TikTok are agreeing that it's just not normal to treat your relationships like this. I'm sorry. Okay. So done with that little mini rant. Um, the next couple of words that I wanted to talk about that I think are overused as well. Um, it are the term, well, specifically uh, the word narcissist, which has almost become synonymous with the word like jerk or asshole when you're referring to, you know, maybe an ex, but narcissism is an actual disorder. It's not just you know, a personality trait. And so again, by overusing the word, we have diluted the essence of what it is, which it it is a, like a diagnostic disorder of the, of the mind. That's what narcissism is. It's not because your ex was a jerk that he's now a narcissist. You know what I mean? That word, there's the word toxic, which I I honestly feel like this isn't even a new word. Like I've been hearing the word toxic described in terms of relationships and friendships for the past like, like eight years at least, but really for someone to be, you know, what I want to say is nobody's perfect. And, you know, just because I get into an argument with someone, I'm not going to start calling them toxic because nobody is perfect. You know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes too in my relationships, like we all screw up and that doesn't make us toxic people. A truly toxic relationship would be if the, if it is, you know, chronically ongoing, if it doesn't end, right. If someone is genuinely making your life worse. Um, and the same with the term gaslighting, you know, gaslighting is not just someone giving you misinformation or someone lying to you. Gaslighting is them actually making you question your sanity and, and, you know, your actual sane, saneness of mind. Gaslighting is, is it breaks you down as a person. It makes you terrified. It makes you question your own judgment to the point where you can't even trust yourself anymore. And so you're able to make the right judgments. It is when somebody actually distorts your perception of yourself so much to the point where you actually don't know what is real or wrong anymore. That's what gaslighting is. Gaslighting is not your shitty ex lying to you about something. I'm sorry to say that's just like everybody does that. There's not one person on this earth, the earth that has not lied about something or twisted the truth. Like, I'm sorry, we all do it again. It is not the same thing as gaslighting. And again, I use the word jokingly. I jokingly say, Oh my God, like I'm going to gaslight my mom into thinking I cleaned the house. Like I will use it in terms like that. And I think again, it's only normal to kind of like utilize these words in conversation and conversation and kind of joke about them. But again, like if we're using them in a serious context and not using them in the right way, it does do more harm than it does good. That's just basically what I'm going to say. And I think this podcast has turned more into me bringing about specific concepts and definitions, but it all plays into this larger narrative of pop psychology. Because again, what happens when these words are so accessible and suddenly all these people start using, overusing these terms without any knowledge without ever having taken a course on the subject, without ever ever having read a book by an expert on this topic and start using it and, and making discourse about it and talking about it. It is not going in a good direction. And I think we need more education on that. And again, I do believe that we should have access to educational materials in order to properly educate ourselves and have the right resources which is why I advocate for having access to real academics and not, you know, pseudo-scientific people who may just have a very sketchy background in in psych, in so soci- not sociology, in, in therapy, in counseling, right? Like the people that I had previously mentioned or that that kind of blurs into self-help because we see all of these definitions, all of these concepts discussed in self-help books. And if you research the author, the credentials do not line up, you know, like it just doesn't line up. And yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about it because... it's such a a broad concept, right? And especially if you read a lot, you'll notice it. You'll know what I'm talking about, but there's a huge difference between a book that's been written by an expert and a book that has been written by somebody that is just trying to get fame, trying to get money, trying to sell you their course. Like, I'm sorry, but why are people selling courses on how to get your life together and saying that it's backed up by evidence and you don't have any formal training in, in, in doing that? It's just predatory. It's predatory especially because a lot of young people specifically are very open and talk candidly about their mental health. Maybe people like, like youth are very susceptible to this, to being pulled into these kinds of stories and discussions because they don't have the, the funds or the support to actually get the help that they need. And so they're being pulled into these spaces and kind of not being brainwashed, but just not properly being educated on how to actually help themselves and on what actually is real and so now they're using this language and it's just a cycle that feeds into itself. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And so I am kind of a little bit not against pop psychology, but I'm just tired of seeing it all over Instagram. I don't want to see it anymore. I've muted so many people um that just post about it all the time like how to create boundaries 101 and this and that and it's like yes, do the work, read on how to set proper boundaries. I think that's healthy. I think you should definitely be doing that. But if it's getting to a point where you're literally using these words every single day and you're using them with your closest friends and you're talking to your family and your friends like they're a patient, like you're in an institution and not like they are people who care about you and people who love you like you don't talk that way to people you love I'm sorry I don't even talk that way to to, like to the people that I like that are acquaintances like I don't even talk that way to anybody I don't know like what is going on and again maybe just don't surround yourself or don't be in a space with people who talk like that I think it's mostly just online talk but I do think that it somehow feeds into you know IRL spaces as as well So to close it off, kind of, uh, I am going to give some suggestions of people with actual credentials that have really helped me. So this wouldn't be a psych slash pop psychology episode without me talking about my fave Brene Brown, who is very qualified to talk on the subject she talks about. Um, She does, I believe most of her research was surrounding the concept of vulnerability. She has done a lot of research on shame. Her two podcasts are available on Spotify. Um, the one that I was most into was what was it called again? I'll find, I'll find it. I'll link it below. My favorite podcast. Uh, she has written countless books that have really helped me. The first one, like her book on vulnerability, completely changed my life. It helped me open up to others. It it made me start looking and, and kind of trying to find vulnerability and to open up to people in ways that I hadn't before. Her work on shame helped me understand the difference between shame and guilt, helped me become a better person overall. There's the gifts of imperfection, amazing book. I just think her work is extremely important. And even the people that she's interviewed in her podcast has kind of like led to me discovering more people that kind of work in that field, opened me up to other ideas. So for example, she had a podcast episode with Um, Angela Duckworth, who wrote, uh, the book about grit and perseverance. So again, these are other concepts. I bought her book. I'm excited to read it. Um, the Gottmans who, um, they founded an institution that kind of, uh, discusses relationships. It's about the psychology of relationships. They do, I believe, counseling for couples. So if you are in a relationship or you're looking to improve your romantic relationships, their work has been phenomenal. And I have read a lot of their books, even though I am single right now, Um, just because it has really helped me see the dynamics between people, how relationships fail, the reasons why they fail. And, you know, done a lot of extensive research on that. There's decades and decades of, of, you know, information to read that they have published, Uh, Who else? Harriet Lerner, who I recently got into again. I think Brené Brown had interviewed her on her podcast. Harriet Lerner is a clinical psychologist. She has written a variety of books. Most of them are from the 90s and even from the 80s. So there's The Dance of Anger, The Dance of Intimacy, The Dance of Fear, The Dance of Connection. I have read two of her books, um, The Dance of Fear, which kind of discussed rising above uh, our anxieties, and The Dance of Connection, which was uh, how we connect to other people. Again, she has a background in psychology. She's a clinical psychologist. She's practiced for many years. These are people that have been in within this sphere of of study for a long time. Most of the people I'm I'm quoting are well past their fifties, so they have decades of experience. They're people that I trust to learn information from and take notes on. And I'm not going to trust, you know, an influencer that decided to get into counseling and then published a self-help book and is now getting a hundred thousand likes on a post about how to set boundaries and how to, how to not listen to your narcissistic ex. So I think that's it for the recommendations. Honestly, if I have more people, I will link them below. I know that I tend to be a little bit dramatic in my wording and That if, you know, if you like these kinds of posts, there's nothing wrong with you. I myself look at them sometimes just to get some quick tips and tricks. You know, like they have good tips on like how to deal with anxiety and how, what to do when you're feeling depressed. You know, they're just common tips and tricks that are very helpful and very accessible. Um, But I just wanted to take home the fact that there is good and there is bad with with pop psych and that we have to be able to discern for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And we have to be careful not to, I feel like I've used this word so many times not to dilute the the real meaning of the word where it has come from and why we're used, suddenly using it in our everyday languages to describe perfectly normal, healthy relationships. Because again, when you have relationships with people around you, again, whether it's your family or your friends or you're dating somebody, you are, it's not going to be like a movie. You know, you're not going to, like, it's not perfect. You're going to fight. You're going to have disagreements because you are, again, a human being. You're not a robot. You're not AI. AI has not taken us over yet. We have not become subhuman yet. We're not the Terminator. Like, you know, we we falter. We are not perfect. And so the more people you have around you, the more chance there is that you're going to have a disagreement with somebody that something will go wrong in terms of communication that you're going to have a bad day and you're going to lash out or you're going to do something. Does that mean you're toxic? No. If you have a disagreement with your friend and, you know, they said something that you don't think is like, does it mean your friend is gaslighting you because they did something so bad no, no, it doesn't. It just means they're imperfect. And that's why we talk about these things and we learn from them. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's all I'm going to say for today because the episode's getting pretty long. So, again, thank you so much if you are listening or if you have gotten to this point of the episode. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Uh, All my links will be in the description of this podcast episode along with anything, anybody I have sourced, anybody I've talked about. And uh, I really hope you enjoy the rest of your May and hopefully I'll be back once I get back from my vacation with another episode. All right. Thank you. Bye.